game to define a legacy for both of these programs number one georgia number three tcu in the college football national championship game welcome into the three technique a college football podcast at the intersection of the x's nose and the jimmies and the joes i'm mitch mason joined by trey reeves garrett turney still out battling a little bit of the bug that's going around at least here in the metroplex it is felling friends and family left and right everyone it feels like is getting sick right now but trey you and i trying to hang on to our health, trying to hang on to our sanity, and trying to preview a national championship game that I don't think many people saw coming, at least not from the program in the stockyards down the road. Yeah, there's a couple sicknesses uh, going around DFW. One is the one that is knocking out Garrett right now, and we're, our thoughts are with him and everybody else affected by that. But the other one is inflicted by a certain hypnotoad um, in Tarrant County. And, man, frog fever is just taking over the metroplex man i'm here for it. even the dallas side of things where you and i are at starting to you know get on board with the frogs a little bit that's not always the case with smu in town and the dallas versus fort worth rivalry but i think all of the metroplex and i think a lot of the state of texas even is really really starting to embrace the frogs i know that's what i told my family at christmas this year i've got a lot of tcu family it's like we're, we're all frogs this year we're all frogs we're all in I'm really excited to see if they can finish this job. I know the odds are stacked against them. Definitely one of the most unlikely cultural ball playoff championships or just national championship games probably of all time mm-hmm. if you look at the preseason. And, yeah, I'm excited to see how that turns out. I think it's going to be much, much closer than what the Vegas line is currently set at. But yeah. we'll get into all that. We'll get into breaking all that down. Well, uh, if you are new to the show, welcome. Uh, definitely feel free to, to go back as we get into this offseason, listen to, to some of our more popular episodes. If you go back all the way to the preseason, we have some evergreen episodes as well. But welcome if you're brand new to the 3Tech family. Head on over to Instagram and Twitter if you like what you hear here. You can follow us. We do daily posts on both platforms, uh, covering college football, interacting with you guys. Uh, And then if you are new to this channel or new to our YouTube channel, head on over there. Again, at 3TechPod, you can find us on the YouTubes. We just finished recording a YouTube exclusive. We talked about Jim Harbaugh, his rumors to the NFL. We also talked about the breaking news of Bobby Petrino heading to Texas A&M to be the offensive coordinator. So if you're looking for Lots of thoughts on that one. So make sure sure you get over there. Yeah, lots of thoughts. Head on over to YouTube. Give us a follow. It helps us continue to grow. We've got some big plans for year two. We've got one more one more game to get through before we officially call off season one, but some fun, exciting news we feel like is right around the corner in year two. We've got a lot of plans both on the audio side, the video side as well, and uh, would love to be able to share that with you. So follow us on our social media, follow us on YouTube, and uh, leave a rating, a review on the podcast as well. It helps more college football fans continue to find us, helps us to continue to grow into year two. 
Trey, the spread right now is we're recording here on January the 4th is 12 and a half in favor of the Georgia Bulldogs. It opened at a 13 and a half line in favor of Georgia. Over-under is currently at 62 and a half. What is that signal to you? What is Vegas trying to tell us with both of those numbers? I think, I mean, anytime Vegas sets a line, it's to get as much action as possible. And I think that it opened at 14 and a half, right? And I think that's trying to draw in the people that watched just TCU and Michigan think, oh, TCU can stay within five of their, beat the number two team by five. Surely they can stay within number one by two touchdowns. And I think it's also trying to draw in, you know, the Georgia fans and the southern half of the country that's definitely very big on the SEC and saying that, probably still doesn't believe in TCU. And I think that's trying to find a balance between, as all lines are, just trying to find a balance between those two camps. But me personally, if I was putting my hard-earned American currency, I think I would put it, I definitely think I would put it on TCU in the points just because mm-hmm. even in the game that they lost, even in all the games that they've won this year, they play close football games, right? Yeah. They usually get down in the first half and they don't look like they're, going to be able to make it into a football game, but they've come back all year long. They've come back, they've turned it into a close game, and all year long, with the exception of the Big 12 championship game, they've really grinded out close wins. So, to me, that signals that they're probably in for another close game. Georgia obviously has the distinct talent advantage, but and it's going to be the biggest talent disparity that TCU has faced, if not in their whole program history, certainly this year. Mm-hmm. So, that, that could definitely th- send things spiraling in the other direction. But personally, I feel like TCU is going to keep it within a couple touchdowns. Yeah, I think with, with the number where it is, I'm more inclined to, to go TCU. If I was throwing a few shekels on this game, if, if the number were to keep coming down, at what point do you think, ah, now is where I really have to think long and hard about which side you would back it maybe it's maybe it's a long way away from 12 and a half maybe it's not that far away for me when i really have to start considering it and again all this being said georgia could win this game by 40 points and it wouldn't necessarily shock me you look at the tennessee game earlier this year and they do have the ability to shut down a high-powered offense with a good quarterback so georgia could romp in this one it wouldn't surprise me but just from a betting perspective and thinking that I'm making the smart bet, I think that line, if it got down to 10 and a half, uh-huh. I think that's where I would have a lot of cost or pause because, you know, not only is that two possessions and uh, teetering on two touchdowns or three possessions, you know, that's also just where things can get wonky with late touchdowns or backdoor covering. So 10 and a half is where I'd have the biggest cost or pause. Okay. I was thinking about the same, um, even, 12 and a half is a a weird line where it's at right now. It's a very weird number for it to be stuck at. Um, And it's, it's not like action is, is moving this all over the place. It opened depending on where you look 13 and a half, 14 and a half. It hadn't moved a ton, um, which it's probably going to move a little bit more frequently as we get closer to kickoff on Monday night. But as of right now, that line is still holding pretty firm in favor of the Georgia Bulldogs. And I agree. I think that's that Southeastern part of the country that believes that the SEC is going to roll no matter what, despite needing a 14 point comeback to beat Ohio state a week ago. Now, very, very different teams, but let's move over to the over under now. 62 and a half is the number. 
it, it feels like it's right on the cusp from yeah. being what could be a really good game or maybe it's a Georgia blowout where TCU's just not scoring. But it also doesn't cover you. If you go under, you are definitely at risk for what both of these teams have an inclination to do, and that's put up a lot of points in a short amount of time. I mean, you know, all, all jokes aside, life is too short to bet the under. I don't know that I've ever been, you know, excited to bet an under other than the Music City Bowl this year. But I don't know. Like, it's a really it, tough it, it undercashed on that one. So um, it, it's a tough call, though, because you're absolutely right. Both teams, it's two of the highest scoring offenses. I know we've talked a lot about Georgia's inconsistency, but Georgia puts up points, whether their defense sets it up or like they did against Ohio State, their offense just kind of took over and their athletes took over and their talent took over and they put up a lot of points on a not bad Ohio State defense. So mm-hmm. to me, I think you're going to see probably – fewer points than the Fiesta Bowl overall, which I know is not saying a lot. I know they combined for like almost maybe even over 100 points. I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. But yeah, I, it's right on that line for me. And I don't know that I have a pick on that one just yet. I, I think it was what, 51, 45. Uh, so yeah. Just so just under 96. Yeah. Just yeah. under 100 points. I agree. I, I don't think we get that high. We, we broke all kinds of records and physics and the, bounds of reality in that third quarter when 44 points were scored I don't think that's going to happen I do think I would lean more towards this being an offensive shootout than a defensive slugfest one because TCU can't stop anybody and we're going to get into that uh at least from from putting points on the board with somewhat of regularity but two you know George's secondary all of a sudden looks kind of mortal and yeah. I do wonder if they're going to have an answer for Quentin Johnston. We know that Keely Ringo is probably going to be on him all night long. But as we get into this, I guess let's start with TCU's defense. Let's start with what they did against Michigan. They looked really good in the first half. Yeah. They only gave up six points. They forced two critical turnovers. Or was it three? I can't remember if it was – well. For sure, too. They had a pick six in the first quarter, and then obviously uh, the fumble that they forced on the goal line as Michigan's you know trying to move the ball six inches to lead twenty-one to six going into halftime. Then in the second half, it became oh, that's why TCU's defense is you know the seventy-fourth in the country or whatever. Deep shots were working for Michigan. They were able to run the ball effectively. Let's start with this. What version of TCU's defense do you think is going to show up? I, I mean, they are who they are at this point. I think they run a different scheme. We've highlighted that a lot, but they have fast athletic linebackers that they like to blitz and bring from different angles and give whatever offense they're facing a lot of uh, different looks throughout the game. So, you know, we talked about this with Michigan. What Michigan did not do is adjust their protection for those linebacker blitzes. And I think Georgia up front definitely has a talented offensive line. I think Michigan has been heralded as one of the best offensive lines in the country. Georgia's certainly right up there as well, but if they don't make adjustments to what TCU is doing, then they might suffer the same fate as Michigan. What I was really, really impressed about with TCU is, you know, they're, they're hearing all for months that Michigan's just going to run all over them. You know, it's not going to be pretty for them. We're going to bring big 10 football to the big 12. They held Michigan to just 4.7 yards per carry. 
And I know that that's, you know, a pretty decent number, but they got more yards per carry than Michigan without their best running back. So if TCU can win that battle again in the yards per attempt, right, if they're getting more yards per attempt than Georgia is, I think you say that's a huge, huge win for the TCU offense and the TCU defense. Now, I don't think that that's how you necessarily attack Georgia if you're TCU, because I think if you're trying to go mano a mano and really run it right at them, you know, I know that we said the same thing about Michigan, but I do think Georgia is going to be just a different animal on the interior defensive line, especially. I don't think that the holes are going to be there as much as they were for Michigan. But defensively for TCU, I think that they can stop the run pretty well. I think that they showed that the run game is not going to be a problem. I think what I'm more concerned about is the big plays over the top because that's what got Michigan back in the game, right? That's definitely what Michigan was relying on. Even if you look at the touchdown that was taken off the board, it was a big play over the top Mm -hmm. where a TCU defensive back was just beat, right? And I think Georgia's receivers are better than Michigan's receivers top to bottom. So if I'm a TCU fan, I'm really concerned not so much about holding our own in the trenches on defense. I think that they can scheme their way to some really decent run defense in this game, at least early on. But you really got to worry about the top being taken off your defense. Yeah, I I think that's a great point. Georgia, listen, they don't have Jermaine Burton this year. Um, They they don't have that one guy who's a superstar. You know, Ladd McConkey. He's he's wide receiver one. He's he's had a good year, but he does. I don't think he scares a lot of teams. Like I don't think Ohio State was scared of Lad McConkey. Now Brock Bowers makes defensive coordinators wake up in cold sweats when they have to go defend him. So I think Brock Bowers is going to be an issue. But I agree. You know Georgia works well off the play action because they have a stable of four backs that they rotate. It it's very rare unless the down and distance dictates it. It's very rare that you go, okay, Georgia's definitely throwing out of this formation, or they've got that back in the backfield. You know, this is a passing play. And so because of that, they keep defenses uh, off balance a little bit. TCU's got to force turnovers. And, and same for Georgia. Georgia didn't force a single turnover against Ohio State. That really hurt them uh, and, and forced the pressure back onto the offense as they had to come back. But TCU, look, you know, they don't win that game or probably don't win that game. You know, you can't trade in ifs and buts. But they had two pick sixes against Michigan. Michigan yep. donated 14 points to the cause in the semifinal game. If you're going to upset the best team in college football and prevent back-to-back national champions out of the Georgia Bulldogs, you're going to have to do the same thing. Not necessarily pick six, but you're going to have to get Stetson Bennett uncomfortable, make him make mistakes. And i tell you what, we talked about this in the recap of the semifinal game. He threw one interception that was a really bad pick, and that has been the bugaboo for Stetson Bennett this year is occasionally he makes some very poor choices. Yeah, absolutely. He I mean, overall takes care of the football really, really well. But when he makes an interception, it's like a mind-numbingly you know, yeah. bad interception. So it's usually not a great time in the game either. So you look at that one in the Ohio State game, thankfully for Georgia, they were able to bounce back from that one. But it came at a very inopportune time where I think they were already down at least one touchdown. I think it set Mm -hmm. up the drive that put them down two scores early. So if that happens again, and if the offense doesn't make a tackle on a Stetson Bennett interception, then you can see the exact same thing. 
it's a TCU defense that's been pretty good at forcing turnovers all year long as well. So it's not – they're a big play defense, right? They're, they're going to rely on the big play. They're top 25 in the country in takeaways. And the sack numbers don't wow you. The tackle for loss numbers don't necessarily wow you, but it always seems like it's at an opportune time for TCU. They are really good at scheming ways to get their de- defensive linemen and linebackers into the backfield. And those guys are just really good all year long at winning individual battles, sometimes against way more talented offensive mm-hmm. linemen guys that are blocking them. So TCU, it's it's a very opportunistic defense. They're going to try to get takeaways. They're going to try to get opportunistic sacks. And that's been a formula that's worked for them in every single game this year. Now you asked a question in, in the notes. Is it okay, fair, to compare TCU and Tennessee and what Georgia did to a volunteer's offense uh, in the middle of this season, what was you know felt like game of the year, ended up being an absolute dagger for uh, Tennessee's kind of the end of their season. Now, Hendon Hooker gets hurt. That's not his fault, but kind of sets up that loss against South Carolina. But at what, at what level do you feel comfortable comparing these two offenses, these two quarterbacks? Because, you know, Hendon Hooker is a gunslinger. Max Duggan, not necessarily the same quarterback as far as the mold, right? He'll sling it, but he's certainly not as efficient as Hinton Hooker was. He doesn't have, I don't think, the big play arm that we saw from Hinton Hooker. Although, you know, I've heard a lot of people say Duggan's arm can play at the next level. Initially, it feels a little bit like apples and oranges. Where do you net out when you when you sit down and go, okay, what can you draw from there? Georgia's performance against Tennessee and what you might be able to project against TCU? Yeah, I think the tendency is just to oversimplify it and say, you know, they're both high-acting offenses. They're both high-scoring offenses. Um, you know, just really look at that on an individual level. But I I think it's a fair comparison. I, I, I don't think – I think it's a better comparison. I'll say this. I think it's a better comparison than trying to compare how Georgia matches up to Ohio State. Because Ohio State's receivers gave – Georgia all kinds of problems all night and there's a very very easy argument to be made that if you know Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't get hurt then it's probably a different outcome for that Peach Bowl and Ohio State might be facing off against TCU instead but I think the TCU comparison the TCU Tennessee comparison is fair because they're trying to do similar things now Tennessee is going to take way more downfield shots I think Hinton Hooker was way more comfortable taking downfield shots than Max Duggan has been most of the year. Max Duggan's not going to be afraid to take the downfield shots, but Hinton Hooker is going to connect on those more consistently. I'm pulling up their stats right now. Hooker definitely has a higher completion percentage, um, a higher yards per completion than Max Duggan, but it's not that far off. We're not talking about these massive disparities, right? And I think the big difference is TCU's receivers. They have talented receivers, but I don't know that they're they're certainly not as talented as Ohio State's. I, I think you look at the guys that Tennessee had that Georgia was forced to cover, and I think I'd give the edge a little bit to Tennessee, but not by much, right? I think top to bottom, the receiving core, probably a little bit better at Tennessee, but not by much. So I think it's a fair comparison. And if you're looking for confidence as a Georgia fan, when there's not that one just absolute – 
NFL first rounder on the opposing side. Their defense held their own pretty much against Tennessee. They forced Tennant Hooker to make uncharacteristic mistakes. They really shut that down. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's a fair comparison. I don't – all games aren't equal, but I think if you're looking for confidence and if you're looking for a blueprint for how Georgia covers the spread and how they turn this into maybe a little bit more of a laugher, you look at the Tennessee game. Uh, this just came across my, my Twitter feed. Mattress Mac, who our Texas audience knows – who that is. Um, He's starting to get a little guy. more nationally famous. I guess that's true, especially, yeah. you know, going on the road to Philly and, and things like that. Um, <clears throat> he is reportedly in big on TCU. He's placed over $3 million in bets on the Horn Frogs in this national championship game. He put $2.13 million on the money line. Wow. To win $8 million if TCU wins the national championship outright. He also put a million on TCU plus 13 to win just under a million dollars. So big, big money just coming in on TCU. And I guess that takes us to what the legacies for these head coaches could be. And then we'll give our picks. We'll do our projections here at the end of this episode. But I think it's really interesting to look at what the legacy for each of these schools could be if they win the national championship. And I think even with TCU, it really starts with getting here, right? I mean, they were picked to finish seventh in the big 12. They were five and seven a season ago. As we've mentioned numerous times, we didn't have TCU making a bowl game. Most of the national experts did not have them making a bowl game. None of the local experts really had them making a bowl game either. It just, it wasn't supposed to be the year. It was supposed to be year one in a new head coach He has six new transfers coming in that will start, and that typically takes time. And yet, Sonny Dykes has sprinkled the magic dust into whatever recipe he has over there in Fort Worth, and he not only ran the gauntlet during the regular season, beating teams like Oklahoma, like Texas, uh, and and getting by Kansas State and Oklahoma State as well in the regular season, but came a couple of inches away from winning a Big 12 title and going undefeated to this point. And then waxed Michigan, who was fully expected by many people in this country to kind of cakewalk into a national championship date with the Georgia Bulldogs. If Sonny Dykes is to win this game and just pull off the improbable, my first question to you is how quickly do we have a Disney movie made about this Horned Frogs team? Well, I don't know how bad Disney Plus needs some more content, but now that they have their own streaming service, it's probably going to happen within a year. Um, But... No, man, like Sonny Dykes is quickly rising up the ranks of college football coaches. I think it's going to be really interesting to see where some of the national outlets rank him. You know, in the offseason, we always get those lists who ranking the 130 FBS coaches, 130. It's going to be fascinating to see where people rank uh, Coach Dykes because regardless of how this game turns out, I think it's it's just one of the greatest stories of all time for TCU who went five and seven last year, like you mentioned to get a new coach in year one, to be on the cusp of a national championship. And it's not like it's Alabama doing this, right? If Nick Saban had to step down for some reason and whoever the new guy was, wouldn't be that shocking to see them in the national championship, even without Nick Saban. But this is a program that hasn't won a title since 1938. And here they are with their best chance to do it probably since then. So, 
yeah, it, it's just a fantastic story. The legacy, it's going to be fascinating to see what TCU does to keep him happy there. I'm not trying to speculate that he would leave, but bigger programs are going to come call. They're yeah. going to notice what he's done. And I mean, there's programs in state that are probably going to be asking serious questions about their head coaches over the next couple of years. So I, I don't know. It's going to be fascinating to see what he decides to do and just how TCU decides to keep him happy. What's going to be the outcome of this. But I also think that he's really rejuvenized that fan base. And we know that TCU, that he's shown that TCU can compete and recruits are going to see that the fan base is going to see that um, donors that would donate to an NIL collective are going to see that. And I sure. think TCU can be set up in a new big 12 to be really, really successful long-term. Yeah. I tell you what, their collective think NIL is just raking in cash. There's no doubt about it. I, I agree with all of that. I think he goes down as, as you know, Texas is, is so good at making legends in the sport of football. And you think about Jeff Trailer at UTSA, not a national legend, but he's certainly becoming kind of a local legend. Uh, had so much success at the high school ranks. Same with Joey McGuire, who then went to Baylor and is now at Texas Tech. Sonny Dykes has a chance to surpass all of that. Yeah. And to be one of the greatest feel-good stories in college football history, to go down in the annals of time as the ultimate David, potentially, at least in modern college football, and slaying Goliath. Let's flip the script, though. Go over to... Hold on. Before we get off of Dykes, where would you rank him right now? I don't want to put you on the spot, but... Rank him as far as current head coaches? Current head coaches. Is he top 20? Is he... Top twenty-five, top ten. I ooh, that's a good question. I, I think question for another podcast, but yeah, I, I think off the top of my head, I'd probably say top twenty, just because I would have to really, I'd have to whittle down and you know actually put names on paper in front of me to to see if I could get him into the top ten. Plus, I think he's on, on one of the greatest heaters of all times. Yeah, but he's he's also not exactly had a ton of success. At the head coaching ranks, right? I mean, and one good season, one good season does not an elite head coach make. Exactly. So, yeah, if we're talking about right now, I think top twenty. If we're talking about you know all time, gosh, or not all time, but in currently in the sport for his career, I, I don't know. I think that I'd I'd like to see him string a little bit more success together before before we know his coaching job this year, though. I think you can reasonably say is probably top five all time. Like if you're just sure. this year in a vacuum, getting this team to where they are, I think it's probably a top five coaching job of all time. I, I think I definitely can agree with that. Um, so yeah, let's flip the script over to Georgia. Now I want to say that they are a certified dynasty at this point. Uh, you look at what Kirby Smart has done since their first year, I believe was 2016. He went to the Liberty Bowl. They beat TCU. Beat TCU, yeah. In the Liberty Bowl. (laughs) Uh, And since then, it's been New Year's Six Bowl after college playoff uh, appearance, after national title game appearance, and now last year they finally won the national championship. This year they have a chance to run it back. And Kirby Smart can be the first coach in the playoff era to go back-to-back. And that's something that his predecessor, his mentor, his friend, uh, Nick Saban cannot say. Where does this where does this put Georgia as a program 
before going into this game. And then if they were to win this, both as kind of currently dominating the sport, and then at what point do you start to look at this run by Kirby Smart and go, okay, this is among the greatest stretches in the sport? I mean, if they win this game, you can make the argument even if they lose this game, but if they win this game, they're unquestionably the top program in college football. They have surpassed Alabama and – Look, next season, Nick Saban's going to have a lot to say about that. But they are, if they win this game, winning back to back, and the way that they're churning in talent, the way that they don't look like they're slowing down anytime soon, you have to say that Georgia is the standard in college football if they're able to go back to back. And look, the other thing about it is Kirby Smart is 47 years old. (laughs) Like, he could do legitimately do this for 25 more years, and then he'd be the same age as Nick Saban. Is like, like I don't think we have a concept of someone. May, maybe Bob Stoops in his run at Oklahoma when he was that he was in his forties and I think early fifties. But we really don't have a concept of a school or a coach really taking that step and being the most dominant team in the country, dominant program in the country, as with a head coach that young. Like we just don't have that in our recent history so Kirby's built for the long haul he is not someone I think that has any aspirations of the NFL and not anybody I don't think anybody's going to poach him from Georgia I think Georgia's going to do whatever it takes to keep him Mm -hmm. and yeah I think it's awesome for Georgia You, you talk about a program that waited so long to break through last year and now they get to enjoy being the top of the college football world if they win this game like the undisputed top of the college football world Personally, I'm really happy for them. And now we're all, if they win this one, we're all going to start hating them. Like we all started hating Alabama. Like we all started hating the Golden State Warriors. Like we all started hating any dynasty. But at some point you have to step back and appreciate greatness. And Georgia is certainly achieving that greatness right now. Well, and they're not even doing it. It's not like they're, you know, going through the transfer portal these last two years and just raiding the portal for all the best guys. Now, they've gotten a guy or two, um, but a lot of it has been homegrown talent, recruited talent. And I think that that's what keeps this dynasty, at least for me, kind of fresh. I feel like Kirby Smart, you know, very, at least publicly, <laughs> goes about it the right way. Um, and Georgia's not a, a school that, you know, I find myself rooting against at all in any sport. Um, and so for me, you know, I, I think I can appreciate it for what it is. Now, you're right. At, at some point, if there starts to be more drama around the program, a la, you know, a, a Golden State Warriors or a New York Yankees, then at that point, maybe they start talking a little bit and you're like, okay, now it's time to go away. I'm not to the point where, you know, like Christopher Russo, who, gosh, that guy has become more and more unhinged by the year that he's on the air. He was screaming into a mic just a couple of days ago, basically saying he's done with all Georgia athletics on TV. Like he wants, he, he cannot wait till the program goes away. He wants the program to go away. And for like, for a national talking head to be so against a program that he has no history with, that he has nothing truly to, to hang against them other than it gets clicks and tweets. You know, we're never going to be that, never want to be that. But, I don't understand 
that kind of vitriol towards a program. I'm not really, you know, I know you're all in on the TCU Horn Frogs. I'm not really rooting for or against anybody. I want a good game. And I'm more interested in legacy building in the fallout after this and seeing can TCU sustain the success and then what does Georgia do to continue to build on it after this game? I just think those are the more those are more fascinating to me than picking a side and going, okay, TCU, I want you to win, or Georgia, I want you to win. Sure, yeah. And, you know, I think I'm rooting, if I'm honest with myself, true serum, I'm rooting for TCU because I think that would be a fun story, and I think that would be a fun, you know, one, I think it would maybe, would TCU winning this game save college football as we know it? Like it, it, it's the narrative is that it's dominated by the same four programs every year. TCU busting in there, I think would definitely bust up that narrative. And I don't know, like maybe that's secretly what I'm more rooting for. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be sad if Georgia wins this game. Though. I think yeah. we can appreciate greatness and I'm not going to be like actively rooting against Georgia. I think TCU in a lot of ways has saved college football. I think TCU, I think Tulane, Cincinnati in some respects making the playoff last year and and just the honest fact that a team like SMU is 10th in transfer portal ratings right now that we're actually seeing the antithesis of what a lot of people were were crying doomsday about this time two years ago when they were saying NIL and the transfer portal are just going to mean that the Alabamas of the world have 85 five stars and no one ever beats them ever again. Um, that's the exact opposite of what we've seen. And so I think it's a combination of it being it not being doomsday like everyone was projecting, and two, just legitimately seeing that one, good culture and good coaching can still win, and yeah. two, that parity in the sport isn't as far off as we thought it was. I mean, we were in person at that Cotton Bowl and watch Tulane come back and beat USC. Like that was, we were walking out of the stadium talking about that was a healthy USC team. That was a loaded USC team. They have no excuse to be able to point to and go, oh, well, this guy didn't play and that guy. You had Caleb Williams, who could not get it done. When you absolutely needed a first down, you needed a touchdown to put Tulane away, you didn't get it. Your defense did not step up and stop them from scoring, what, 15 points in the last three and a half minutes, right? So for me, I think, honestly, the sport may be saved. And now anything that TCU or another program can do on top of that, at least for the next couple of years, to me is kind of gravy. Yeah, and especially as we move into the expanded playoff, I think we're just going to see more and more of this personally. And I know a lot of people disagree with that. That's where I'm at with it. I, I completely agree. It makes me excited for the expanded yeah, playoff. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I mean, Bowl season this year has made me 10 times more excited for the expanded playoff. Yeah, if you slept on the Cotton Bowl, boy, you missed a classic. And I think that's truly what we're headed towards rather than, hey, the one seed is always going to beat the 12 seed or, you know, whatever the, the seeding ends up being, right? Um, plus, we get we get home games. The first round will be will be home games. So I think that that's going to be really, really exciting. Um, well, let's pick this game. Georgia, they're 13 or 12 and a half point favorites as it stands right now. TCU 13 and 1. They should not be here, according to all the experts in the preseason, but they are the best story in college football. Give me your pick for the the winner and I and also mention with that spread what it would be 
a lot of the money, as we've talked about, is pouring in on Georgia. It's keeping that line as high as it is. But then you've got people like Mattress Mac who are are putting a whole lot of coin on the TCU Horn Frogs. You got one pick to make, one pick left in the season. I'm pretty sure you actually won our season pick em. We We didn't really do the in count there, but at least based on how it was going late in the season, I'm pretty sure you won. So your honor then is to pick this game first. I'm going to take Georgia to win and TCU to cover. Um, I think we see a lower scoring game than the two games last weekend, but still an exciting game. My concern for TCU and the reason I don't think that they can score enough points to keep up with Georgia. I think Georgia is going to be a different animal um, and a little bit more explosive offense than uh, Michigan was last week. And I don't know that they're going to have as easy of a time. I still think TCU is going to hold their own and run defense, but I think, I'm concerned about containing Brock Bowers, containing Georgia's talented receivers. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of explosive playmakers that made an Ohio State defense that we highlighted was better than we expected this year look really silly in that second half. So I'm going to take Georgia to win, TCU to cover, give me 38-27 to Georgia. My concern about TCU's offense, I know that's a lot of points to put up on Georgia. They sustained a lot of drives against Michigan. And I think yeah. that was a really encouraging sign. Like we highlighted, 14 of those points came directly from the defense. I think Stetson Bennett's going to take care of the football. Not going to be as desperate as McCarthy was in that first half. I think McCarthy kind of got got a lot of jitters in that first half. And I don't think that Stetson Bennett is going to be as rapid and throw an interception that could turn into a pick six. So, yeah, 38-27 is my final score prediction. I also don't know that Georgia's going to give up a big play on a glorified screen pass like Michigan did in the second half, right? That 70-yard touchdown. That was tough. You know, it was tough, yeah. And every defensive coordinator in the country had to be just screaming at the television watching that game because it was such bad play design from the Michigan defense. So, yeah, I think... Georgia's going to be a little bit more disciplined than that. I still think TCU is going to score some points, but I think Georgia ultimately wins the game 38-27. Michigan radio was sick to their stomach. As, as they as, should be. It was as it, pathetic. Well, how, calling a cover zero blitz on, I think it was second down, immediately they were like, now why, why did Jesse call that way? Cover zero in a non-blitzing situation anyway. And then, yeah, I mean, you're safe. That's what middle schoolers on call on Madden. Like yeah. that is not what you what you do to win a college football game, a big time college football. Uh, and I don't think Georgia's going to do that, so I think it's going to be a little bit tougher for those big plays for TC. I do think Georgia's defense. I trust them a little bit more. That being said, I'm also going to take the Bulldogs to win. I'm going to take the Horn Frogs to cover. Two thoughts on that. One, every time I pick against Georgia to cover the spread, they burn me. I've mentioned that numerous <laughs> times this year. Like it is a way to just lose fake money is bet against the Bulldogs. At the same time, they haven't played a team of destiny this year. We thought Tennessee was that team of destiny, and then they got exposed late in the season. TCU stood up as the true one team of destiny this year. I think that story, I, I just think they've got enough momentum to keep it close. So when you said 38-27, I laughed because I'm very, very similar I've got the Bulldogs winning 38-31. I want, right. I want it to be a one-score game late. I want to believe that we have a reason 
to hang on the edge of our seats until the closing bell. Um, and so for that reason, I'm going to keep it closer. I do think that TCU should be able to exploit that Georgia defense, the secondary, a little bit. I mean, look, yeah. Quentin Johnston has gone from a, a pretty good receiver. He was first-team all-conference last year with, like, I think he only had 33 catches or something like that. I mean, it was a ridiculously low number, and yet Big 12 coaches voted him first-team all-conference because they realized, hey, this dude's a monster. He's had his breakout year this year. He should be wide receiver one off the board in the NFL draft in April. I think he's going to get his. Keely Ringo struggled a little bit against Ohio State, and I think that that success can continue for the TCU Horned Frogs. That being said, though, I do think that Georgia turns the Frogs over a couple times. I don't know if TCU can force those turnovers against Georgia. I yeah. don't know. You can't rely on 14 points of pick sixes, right? You can't rely on TCU's defense scoring to help you out. I think that's ultimately what the difference is. And I think Georgia wins, you know, 38 31 is what I'm officially going to lock in. I like it. The other thing we haven't mentioned yet is we still don't know Kendra Miller's status for this Good game. Point. And obviously, that could be a huge game breaker. Like his status, you're talking about line swings at the beginning of this episode. His status is going to, when it officially comes out, it's going to swing the line probably by one or two points in either direction. Sure. I would think he's worth that much. If he's playing, I think that line comes down towards 10 and a half, nine and a half. If he's not playing, probably up over two touchdowns. So, yeah. Look, and uh, Di Mercado, Mari Di Mercado filled in valiantly against Michigan. And sure. I think he did a fantastic job. But again, this is, you know, asking the second string running back to go up against Georgia and do it two weeks in a row against elite and elite defense is asking a lot. So Kendra Miller's availability would be huge for the Horn Frog Falls. Well, let us know what you think. Lock in your prediction, whether it's below in the comments on YouTube. You can DM us. You can message us on Twitter, Instagram, at 3TechPod. Let us know what your final score prediction is. Do you have TCU covering? Do you have them being competitive? A lot of people. Still saying Georgia runs away with this. And I think, Trey, you mentioned earlier on, Georgia could win this by three, four scores. And I don't think it would surprise us. We'd be disappointed, but I don't think it would surprise us because we've seen this defense be absolutely elite. We know the talent that they have on, on that side of the ball. We've seen the offense at times look heroic. We've also seen the offense be sluggish at times. So I could very easily see... A very close game. I could also see a little bit of a blowout in Georgia. Final question that I'll ask you before we get out of here. Can TCU blow Georgia out? Is that even in the realm Ooh, of possibility? Man, it's crazy because I haven't even like considered that exactly, possibility. Right? Of, all the, of all the ways this game could go, I have not considered that possibility. I think I don't know that Georgia is capable of being blown out. It's not necessarily that TCU can't blow them blow them out like TCU. It's not saying TCU is not good enough. I think Georgia is too good mm-hmm. to be blown out. You saw what happened when they got down by two scores against Ohio State, and it was looking well on its way to Ohio State. Ohio State had a chance to run away with that game, and yes, they, they did. could not. And I think Ohio State's a little bit more talented than TCU. So – it's not. It, it, this is not me saying that TCU is not good enough to blow Georgia. I think Georgia is too good to be blown out. So the final answer is no. I, I kind of agree with that. I, I kind of 
I think the exact same thing. I don't see this Georgia team having that lay down in them where they give up, right? Well, they, and they, they have, have the coaching away. that's going to adjust the game plan if it's not working, right? They they're not a they're not going to I I don't think you have a staff at Georgia that's going to be as flabbergasted as Michigan's was in that first half. And that's that's not a shot at anybody in particular at Michigan, but you got kind of embarrassed in that first half on national television. It was very clear that you weren't ready for that game. Georgia's not going to have that happen. I, like I'm, if there's anything I'm willing to bet on in this game, it's that Georgia will not be caught not taking this seriously. Obviously, it's a national championship game, but even if they were playing against Youngstown State in the national championship game for some reason, I think they're taking it way more seriously than Michigan was last week. Let us know. Follow us Instagram, Twitter. We'll have content all throughout the national championship game. We've got big plans for this offseason. Um, the content is not going to, to go away, subside. We will have a podcast throughout the offseason. We'll have video content. And, and like I said, off the, off the top, we have a lot of big things planned. So if you are just joining the bandwagon, it's not too late. There are still seats available. Uh, welcome aboard, and we're excited to have you. For Trey Reeves, Garrett Turney, who will be back with us very shortly. I'm Mitch Mason. So glad to have you listening to this episode. I hope you guys enjoy the national championship. Until next time, so long, everybody. Everybody.